0: What's up everybody? This is Cortland from ndhackers.com and you're listening to the Indie Hackers podcast. More people than ever are building cool stuff online and making a lot of money in the process. And on this show, I sit down with these indie hackers to discuss the ideas, the opportunities, and the strategies they're taking advantage of so the rest of us can do the same. All right, I'm here with Andre Asimov. How's it going, Andre?
1: I'm uh, going really good and I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah, I think the last time we spoke, we were just saying it was like a, a year ago, a year and a half ago, and you were running Sheet to site, and I think you were at like $10,000 a month in revenue, and then it's been a while, yeah. and then I just saw you tweet on Twitter, talking about, oh, I wish I'd come back on the podcast, or I think Peter Levels was saying something about that, and I was like, I should have yeah. Andre back on, I meant to re-record with you and just didn't, and then he informed me that like you've sold your company, mm-hmm. so uh, your story's a cool one, because I think at the very start of your story, like. You didn't really know how to code. You weren't sure what you were going to build. You had very little money, and you, like, you'd quit your job. And you decided to sort of embark on this path to become a successful founder. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you were very deliberate about it. I've read some of like your older posts, and you're talking about like the lessons that you learned from Peter Levels and from others who had gone you know, sort of ahead of you and how you sort of incorporated those into your journey. And I think the very first decision that you made was that you weren't just going to start on like, one project, you didn't have one idea you wanted to work on, you're going to take a whole year and basically work on lots of different projects.
1: Yeah, because I didn't know what will work out, so I just throw spaghetti on a wall and see what will right. stick. And this was more stickable spaghetti.
0: <laughs> I like that approach because I think no one really knows what's going to work out. Like, nobody has an idea and, like, can be one hundred percent confident that 's going to work, and the people yeah, who are one hundred percent confident that 's going to work are usually just like diluted in some way, uh, and so like the throw spaghetti at a wall approach is awesome, like yeah. when Peter levels did it, he did i think he called it twelve startups in twelve months yeah. and he really did like twelve startups in twelve months every month he forced himself to quit what he was working on and start something new and by i think like two thirds of the way through his journey like seven or eight months in he like, he kind of knew that Nomadlist was like the breakout success, and he started to, like you know working on that the most, and your journey I think the thing that you built that did the best called sheet to site was the very first thing that you built yeah. and then you ended up building a bunch of other stuff like in hindsight like arguably you could have just stopped there <laughs> and only worked on that so you kind of did have the right idea at first uh but you had no like no way of actually knowing that
1: yeah i i didn't know i thought it will just after one month i thought it's done and i saw there is no way to make more than 300 dollars of it so <laughs> it was like like a good signal for me that I need to start something new, otherwise it will be too risky. Okay. So let's talk about like the beginning
0: of how this started. How did you uh, decide to do this? How did you afford to take a year off and do nothing to work on on your own projects?
1: Uh, Because back then I was living in Bali and Bali relatively cheap compared if you live in Europe or U S or some other countries. So I was living like on 400 bucks and was uh, a month yeah oh that's crazy yeah rent was like 200 and food like 150 yeah it was good good enough for me Uh, that, that was the good foundation to be able to sustain myself at least for like four months or something and after I have no plan so I decided just go full in and see what happened so you have like a few
0: thousand dollars a month in savings then yeah It's like the exact opposite of me when I started Andy Hackers. I was like living in San Francisco, spending like $4,000 a month, burning through my savings. And like, that's how much you had total. Uh, And I've heard of people living in Bali for like a couple thousand dollars a month and just like living like kings. But the fact that you could make a living there on $400 a month or survive is pretty like, that's pretty crazy. And I've read some of your blog posts too. And like, we talked about it last year, how you were, you know, you didn't, you couldn't afford like a bike. And so you would walk home, you know, and you couldn't afford Wi-Fi, So you were working at Starbucks and like, even after they were closed, you would stand outside Starbucks and just like use their Wi-Fi. So it was just like part of your plan. Like I'm going to live in Bali and take a year off simultaneously. Or did you just like coincidentally happen to be living in Bali. And then you decided that you were going to take a year off work and try building your own projects.
1: Both because when I was in Ukraine, I'm, I'm from Ukraine, I had a dream, that at some point I should go to Thailand or some other warm place where I can celebrate the new year and it was my dream just don't see snow, because in Ukraine it's very cold in the winter just go and uh, see the beach and the and the ocean and it's like wow, this is good so I started a small developers agency which allowed me to travel and work remotely and I went to Thailand, spent 6, mo- six months there and after I moved to Bali and in Bali I found a job I was working as a product manager in a Railsware so like the product studio which is um, was a really good experience for me because uh, I was learning a lot there um, but on the side I was making some side projects and after one half year I decided when I was in Bali to quit uh, this job and try something that m- makes me happy and if it will sustain myself I can convert my hobby to the business that will be like the dream life for me
0: right and so then you started your hardcore year so at the beginning of this year you know you've got a year hopefully of runway and your goal was i think you said to make a thousand dollars in monthly recurring revenue yeah which basically means that you it's like two and a half times what you were living off of in bali so like that's a pretty comfortable lifestyle Mm -hmm. for you to kind of start and figure out what you want to do from there uh, how did you go about coming up with like your ideas? Because I think that's where like, most people struggle. They're like, OK, I want to be an indie hacker, but like, what am I going to work on? How do I know if an idea is a good idea? Uh, you had plenty of ideas. I think you started seven projects before the end. Uh, how, did you, how did you figure out what to work on?
1: First, I didn't know how to code at all. So I decided to build at least my first idea. I built a surf web app that will show the best time when to surf. I didn't know how to code and I accidentally meet Peter Levels and Mark Kochelbrook from BetterList. And they say, just use PHP. So it was good coding code school for me. I launched it in one month and it was good foundation. But how to find ideas it was surprisingly that when I doing this project, I was have already some ideas for the next one because of the time I need to commit the code. So I, I thought, why there is no big red button when I can just hit and it will deploy my code. So it was my second project, but it didn't work out. I didn't get enough prepayments to start the factory in China. You're, right,
0: you're trying to actually make like a, a literal red button that you would hit to yeah, deploy like your
1: code? Yeah, like physical button, right. <laughs> and, and you're
0: taking prepayments to try to get people to, to buy this thing before yeah, you even made it. Like it was like, like a Kickstarter?
1: Without Kickstarter, just PayPal. Without button. Kickstarter.
0: Yeah. Okay. Do you remember <laughs> how much money you got?
1: So the goal was maybe a couple of thousand dollars, and I made only two hundred fifty or something.
0: Uh, okay, not enough. Yeah. So then, what do you do? Just return the money back and just give up it, on it?
1: Yeah, just say sorry, the project didn't work, and refund all. Okay, mm-hmm. so you already t- pretty quickly your two
0: projects in. Yeah. You do a surf app. You sort of teach yourself to code. Uh, I also learned PHP as the very first sort of web programming language. I guess I learned like HTML and CSS stuff to make design websites, and then I didn't know how to code. And so I was in school and I was just like trying to build, I think, a Facebook app, like my sophomore year of school. And no one was really teaching me how to do this, despite the fact that I was like getting a CS degree. And so I just like went online and read a bunch of guides about PHP, which like, you know, at the time I didn't know, it was like looked down on as a language Facebook was using. I was like, yeah, oh, it's good enough. And like super scrappy. And I ended up having like one giant PHP file that was horrible <laughs> and didn't follow any of the best practices. But like it was kind of a good way to learn because like I wasn't worried about writing perfect code. I was more worried about just like learning how to get stuff working. Mm-hmm. and It kind of seems like that's the same path that you took. Yeah. And in fact, you actually wrote a blog post about, I uh, mentioned earlier about some of the lessons that you were taking from Peter Levels. And uh, you basically said, solve your own problems, stop going to startup events, avoid startup coaches, learn code by doing and searching on Google, avoid courses, boot camps, books, and startup coaches, do the simplest thing that could possibly work with your current skills and don't waste time on super cool new frameworks that'll take you a year to learn. And then finally do it all yourself. And so, like, right in the middle of that is, like, learn code by doing and searching on Google. Honestly, that's what I tell people who are trying to learn how to code, too. Like, try to envision what it is you want to do. Like, don't just learn code abstractly. Have something you want to accomplish. And then, like, Google around and try to figure out how to do that thing. And hopefully, you know, you start somewhere simple. And, like, it'll be scrappy and crappy at first. But, like, ultimately, you'll figure out how to do that thing. And if it's something you have to do often, you'll keep doing it repeatedly. And you'll kind of memorize it and learn. And you'll, you'll just get better over time if you keep at it.
1: Yeah, absolutely because the learning code is not um, the determ- determinative idea it's just infinite ideas there is no end in learning code you could never finish but better start something small like build one app that will work and will have one button this is much more yeah. simple and doable instead of try to learn entire code of entire world it's kind
0: of weird because it's like if you think about someone who is like an expert programmer training like a, a brand new programmer like the expert's not going to teach them all the crappy, like scrappy ways to do things. They're so gonna probably teach a beginner like, here's the best practices for today in modern web development that they're using in like, all the biggest companies. And it's like, that's way too much for a beginner to learn and memorize. So as a beginner, it's kind of easier almost to teach yourself because then you have permission just to do things kind of in a crappy, simple way. And you don't have anyone looking over your shoulder telling you that it's crappy or that it's wrong. But that's often the easiest way to start and no expert's gonna tell you to start that way. And then like you said, you're never done learning. You can always unlearn those bad habits and I think to some degree, it's hard to appreciate why the best practices are the best practices unless you've done it like the hard, crappy way first. So I like that scrappy, do-it-yourself path.
1: Yeah, I would just add that it depends on your goal. If you go to find a developer job, maybe it's a better approach to take the some books or trainings which will uh, teach you how to do it in the right way. Because obviously in a job, you work not alone, you work in a team. And they have they using all these best practices that, which probably good idea to to find out and l- learn. Right. But if you do it just for a fun and for a side projects, I guess it's not much a big deal which paths you will choose. Yeah,
0: but I think for learning to code and for like building a company, the the biggest obstacle for most people is just quitting. Right. It's like you start and then it gets frustrating. It's too hard. You're not seeing very much progress, and then you end up quitting, and then you don't get the job or start the company. I think in either situation, if you can just figure out how to make it easy and fun for yourself, you can get better over time. And like that's clearly what you did. So I, I can't imagine by the time that like you finished your surfing app or your big red deploy code button, uh, that you were the world's best programmer. Right? You're probably still super scrappy. You probably didn't have a ton of confidence in being able to build a lot of stuff. But eventually, you ended up building Sheet to Site, which is from the sound of it, like it doesn't sound like a very simple project to start with. You know, like the the concept of it is basically. People who don't know how to code can turn their spreadsheet into a website. Um, And like here you were, someone who barely knew how to code. So what was your, what was like the genesis of this idea? And like, how did you have the confidence to try building this?
1: Because before I had the idea to build a website of list of apps that contains dark mode. And I didn't know the SQL or any other database, but I knew the spreadsheet. So before starting the website that uh, collected all the data, of apps that I found in a Google Sheet. And the best way to do it was somehow, I didn't know how to put this information into HTML. So I find a way how to easily call through API. And in the right. for loop, it will make the cards like normally same style, which list of apps. And it worked very well for me. I was surprisingly happy with the approach that I don't need to update the code. I just update the Google Sheet and the website will update itself. And once I had this idea with sheet2site, I thought maybe some other people also don't know SQL and don't know how to code. So maybe I can turn out this idea into the service app. So firstly, it was very basic. It was just one template. Just put your Google Sheet URL into the web form and it will convert into one template. That was it. it was no login, no payments, no about page. It was just one page. And API page was a generated website without anything. So it was, I, I, I think, think it was maybe even luck for me that I don't know frameworks and databases because I know very little. So I focus only on one thing to, to ship it and see if it will, will work. So maybe this disadvantage become my advantage.
0: It's kind of like a, this four step process that a lot of founders go through, which is number one, work on something. It can be literally anything. Number two, while you're working on that thing, you encounter a problem and you're like, oh shit, like I need to figure out how to solve this problem. Number three, you solve the problem for yourself. You're like, okay, this works. And then number four, you have the insight to realize, like, hey, probably other people have the same problem and I can solve it for them. So you go from working on like a project to basically working on a completely different project that solves a real problem that you encountered. And so those four steps in your case were number one, work on something. You built this website, Dark Mode List. It's still online, darkmodelist.com. And like, what what is it? It's just like a list of apps that have a dark mode. Yeah. So if people like using apps that, you know, have a dark mode or a black background They come to your list, very simple project, you know, not crazy ambitious. Number two, you encountered a problem, which was like, all right, well, how do you add all the data to this website? How do you update the data? You don't know SQL, you don't know about databases, but you do know how to use a spreadsheet. And so you had to figure out, you know, step number three, solving that problem for yourself. I'm not sure how you did it, but you figured out how to get the data from that spreadsheet to update your website which I'm sure like anyone with enough persistence, even if you're a beginner at code, could figure out how to do because it's a very specific problem. And then number four, you realize like, hey, other people have this problem too. So tell me about like that last insight because I think most people who solve problems don't think that way, especially programmers, especially beginners. We tend to think, oh, I built this super you know simple solution to my own problem. Like no one's going to care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no one needs this. You know, I'm, I'm a beginner. Like, of course, everyone's going to build their own thing. How did you have the insight to realize like, hey, other people also might want to change uh, update their websites based on data in a spreadsheet.
1: Mm-hmm. It was my assumption. I never knew that some other people have this problem. So I just thought, what if some other people also want to build a website from the Google sheet? And I just made this app in a month. I, I think I even posted in my Twitter or Facebook also in Indie Hackers, but it didn't went well. And some people say. Nice, bro. I said, nice. <laughs> Very nice. And it didn't have, you know, like overnight success where people, wow, all my life I was missing something. And it was website <laughs> builder from the Google sheet. Now I'm completely happy. Andre. good job. No. <laughs> <laughs> it almost never is. No. No. So I just launched it uh, as is after polishing it a bit, at least make workable with this one template. And I even didn't have any like extra features which normal website builder have.
0: How long did it take you to get like this first version up? Because I'm looking at it and it's like super duper crazy simple. Like You've got a Twitter thread where you have a screenshot of like your very first, basically very first version of it. And it's just like one website, one page, and it's green. And it just says, make site from Google Sheet. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's it. You put in the link to your Google spreadsheet, and then you click a button and it turns into a website. So how long did that take you to build?
1: Um, I think this from first version I built like in a couple of days and it was very quickly, but this version I didn't launch. Also I showed for um, maybe like 10 or 20 people to get the onboarding right because many, I understood that what I understood myself and I believe should work where you should click, real people even don't understand. So it was big insights for me, make face to face user testing, sit with people, shut up, and listen where they struggle.
0: Yeah, your website reminds me of, um, you know, Gumroad? Yeah. It's like a website for basically selling products online. Like, Mm -hmm. the very, very first version of that, built by Sahil, was also very similar. Like, he built it in, like, as a weekend project, I think. It just took a couple days, and it was the same thing. Just like a very simple, you know, website, and then you just, like, upload a product, and then it's like, boom, there's a price tag on it. And it's, like, as simple as that, and so, like, you don't really have to, like, spend months or weeks planning Like, you didn't even do market research for this idea. You're like, oh, I have this problem. I'm going to assume other people have this problem, too. Oh, I'm not going to put a bunch of bells and whistles and features on it. Like, I'm not going to have user accounts. I'm not going to have password reset. I'm not going to have a glitzy logo. Like, you just did the bare minimum and then put it up. And then you started learning from, as you just said, like, user feedback. So it wasn't so much like, oh, I'm going to predict what everybody wants up front and build it. You're like, I'm going to put out the simplest, dirtiest, smallest possible thing and then show it to real people and see what kind of feedback they have. Yeah. And like, of course you, like, you hope that they love it, but mm-hmm. like it's rarely the case that they love the very first version. Mm-hmm. And that's why you're learning from them. So what did you learn when you actually talked to people?
1: They don't understand how to make the web sheet public because there is two ways to uh, get the data from the Google sheet first is using authentication and get the the permission from the user. But another simple way, you just make the web sheet public and the... Instruction, what was on the website back then, told where you need to click and uh, how to do it. So many people don't understand this instruction and I tried to improve, the, optimize that they know how to do it. It was probably big insight for me because otherwise when I launched as is, when I with a version of instruction in my understanding how it should work, many people will fail and was frustrated and confused because they had no so. idea how to do it.
0: Yeah, there's kind of like a trope in um, software development that like you make your own app and you take your laptop to a coffee shop and you just look over somebody's shoulders. They try to use it. And you don't say anything, mm-hmm. and like always, you'll be shocked at how hard it is for them to figure out like the most basic stuff in your app that you thought would be <laughs> super easy to do. And it's kind of depressing to watch. Like I've done this with every app I've ever built, including indie hackers, and it's like I've never, I've never failed to be disappointed <laughs> at watching people struggle to use something that I thought was so intuitive. So how did this this turn out? I mean, obviously you didn't. You, this is like month number one of your hardcore year. Um, technically, you were done a couple projects before this, but like, this is like the first project where you like had taken off uh, your job and you were like living off your savings, and you said that you only got to like $300 a month in revenue, and so it didn't turn out to be the success that you wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, where do you go from there?
1: Uh, after that, uh, I decided to build a Mac app, which is completely different field with a different language and different approach to ev- everything. But the idea why I took it, not because I want to build the Mac app in just the Mac app because it's cool, because I was a big fan of the Twitter account called the Year Progr- Progress. It's just a, a progress bar and showing each couple of days that your year is growing in like 365 days is 100%. So each three days it's moving one and people like. So I said, wow, I like this this um, idea and a big fan of it, you know, like a momentum worry. It's reminders that our time is limited and we need to work more and do the stuff that we need to do now. So I said, why why there is uh, no uh, such thing as this progress bar into Mac menu bar? Because it's just minimalistic and it's very cool. So you can just put in your Mac menu bar and it will be perfect fit for it.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at this Twitter app right now. Are the Twitter account right now called year underscore progress. And like you said, it's just a progress bar that it tweets every day of what percentage we are through the year. And today, literally four hours ago, we just tweeted we're fifty percent of the way through the year. Mm-hmm. And it's this most popular tweet of all time. It's got forty seven thousand likes already and seventeen thousand retweets. Because yes. it's kind of shocking that we're already fifty percent through twenty twenty one. But your progress bar went a step further. So it didn't only tell you like what percentage we are through the year, but it was also like what percentage we are through the day, what percentage we are through the month. And then you have a cool part that's kind of depressing which is a progress bar at the bottom It's like, what percentage of your life are you through? And so you can put in your age and it tells you, ah, you're gonna die, you know, whatever age on average, uh, you're 34% of the way through your life, which is kind of a grim reminder to look up at your Mac progress bar and see that every day.
1: Yeah, this for, uh, second version with all other features I launched in the next couple of months because the first I launched the only the year because this was the idea and I spent all the time figure out how to do the progress bar and coding on swift but after i got a lot of feedback from the users so i made maybe like um, i don't know 300 sales of five bucks an app oh crazy code. yeah and it was my biggest success i made so much money in one day that i never made in my life back then <laughs> so I was like wow yeah
0: 300 sales uh five five bucks each is 1500 well, yeah which is almost four months of runway for you yeah. living in bali off like 400 dollars a month so like every time you're making one of these apps and charging money for it like you can you can like meaningfully extend the runway that you had mm-hmm. to continue your hardcore year.
1: Yes. The the other interesting part was that um, you should make the animation moving of the progress bar, right? Each couple of percent. And I have no idea how to do it on Swift. I even don't know how to do it now. So I make, you know, hardcore approach. I make 50 different progress bar <laughs> moving of uh, like the picture. Images? Yes. Yeah. And put in an if. Like, if 3% shows this it. <laughs> and it's still working, just imagine after three years, yeah. people still buying it, even in the that's Apple crazy. store. Yes. So I thought, wow, people even don't care if my code even not entirely optimized it. It's like the worst code in the world.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's a, it's a kind of consistent pattern, right? Like, users aren't buying your app because of how you've coded it. They don't care if you've got like, an authentically moving bar. If you just switch between one and 50 pictures, like it just looks the same to them. And so it works. And like, that's kind of the, the other thing I like about this idea of doing like a different project every month or two is that when you give yourself this time limit and you kind of cap how long you can work on each project, you don't have time to waste doing trivial, unimportant things. Like you have to figure out how to be scrappy. If you're kind of like, Oh, I've got one app. And it'll be done when it's done. And you know, I'm going to do the best I possibly can. You have no time limit. Then like, probably you would have taken like, all the time in the world to try to figure out how to move that progress bar just right and learn the proper Swift code. And like, what, would have that, what would that have done for you? Like Probably nothing. <laughs> you, know, mm-hmm. would have, you would have learned a bunch of extra stuff that stood in the way of you actually accomplishing your goal, rather than doing like, the bare minimum that you needed to accomplish your goal, which was to actually right. make money. And so this app was making money. And like, what's, what's wrong with that? Did you try putting a subscription, recurring payments on it, or you just assume, like, no one's going to buy this? Yeah,
1: I just assume and switch to another Mac app. Because I said, "Wow, this is like the uh, money cow, or how you called it in English, right? Where you find the idea and you just... Oh, the it. money tree?
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've never heard money cow before. Yeah. Milking the money cow, shaking the money tree. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this thing is working. It's making, you know, five bucks for everybody who buys it, but, yeah, it's not giving you subscription revenue, and so... What's the next thing you do that that does give you subscription revenue? uh,
1: My plan was maybe I will be the Mac menu bar guy, you know? The guy who focuses deeply on the Mac menu bar apps and will be this my thing. So I will focus on it and later I will figure out how to make subscription. But now I just need to switch to another idea and not lose momentum to keep building stuff and launching it and maybe other people also buy. So my project number three was the Mac app called make 06 great again so the idea was to uh, fix the annoying things in mac macOS, which many people dislike for example you cannot change the screenshot folder or the format or you cannot hide all your screenshots and stuff on the desktop and when when you connect your phone to the iTunes, it always opened the iTunes, so it was very right, annoying right. To, to many people. So I pushed just like my,
0: every annoying thing about yeah. macOS. you are just like, okay, we're gonna fix this.
1: Yeah, I I, I think now many many of, of that was already fixed. But the most annoying thing was every day this pop up came as out. Do you want to update your new macOS version? And you press tomorrow every single day. <laughs> <laughs> so I just uh, found a way how to fix it and this was like the first number one feature that many people like and even subscribed before it was even made.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at this now like uh, makeosxgreatagain.com. It's still up and yeah. it costs $10. You also have like a video people can watch and you've got some good screenshots of like what the app does on the homepage. Uh how, how much money did you end up making from this one?
1: Mm, maybe like 1,500 or 2,000, no, no, not okay. much. Yeah.
0: But again, enough to, to justify the investment because it probably didn't take you, that's like what, four or five months of runway again in yeah. Bali, it didn't take you four or five months to build it.
1: Yeah, it was like two months, I think. It was pretty hard to deal also with Swift's internal procedure, how to change the permission of disable software updates, but I right. find the way. So right. it was good Very investment cool. from, my, from my side. my side.
0: So what's your process like for for like launching and publicizing these apps? Because I think a lot of people, even if they have ideas, that's kind of step one, have the idea. Step two is like, you know, be scrappy and build it. Don't let anything get in your way. But then step three is like, you got to actually like market this thing and get it in the hands of customers. Mm -hmm. And you seem to be consistently pretty good at every one of these projects, getting it in front of people who potentially need it and getting them to give you money. So what was your process like for actually getting these apps into the hands of your customers?
1: Mm, uh, because on the end of each project, I wrote a blog post. And about... So when I launched She2Site, I wrote a story about She2Site launch, and in the end of the story, I make a quick note, say, hey, my next app will be this. If you're interested, mm. pre- please subscribe. And after, I tweeted, Hey, my next project will be this app. Just one screenshot without even app. And if you like, please subscribe. And after... I built the project, put it everywhere where I can on Product Hunt, on Twitter, on Indie Hackers, on, to my email list, to Hacker News, launch everywhere when I can, and got the user feedback and see if it will work and if people actually like it and buy it. So it was uh, through each of this project, I built a little bit audience through Twitter and mailing list, and it was... Uh, Good for me because it was like the snowball, each next project I have bigger and bigger people interested in this particular project and in my challenge as well. So these are basically funneling
0: everybody to the same mailing list, no matter what blog post they read? Yeah. Cool, that's super smart. And what would you say in your blog post? Like you launch sheet to site, what is your blog post like? You know, who's it targeted at and what does it say?
1: Uh, I did it after launch actually, post launch lessons learned. So it was the story the numbers uh, which was hard to do how it how I done it how was the launch goes where I launched it what was the revenue and what I will work next and this approach was pretty um, sustainable and I do it almost for every app that they made
0: it makes a lot of sense so you're basically targeting like other makers and other indie hackers you're giving them like the behind the scenes sort of build in public approach. You know, here's how I, here's what I did, and here's the results, and here's how I did it. And yeah. anyone else who's a maker is gonna be interested in that. And then at the same time, the apps that you're building are apps that kind of appeal to that target audience. So like Sheet to Site, helps you build a website using a spreadsheet. There's probably a ton of indie hackers who would love to be able to build a website using a spreadsheet. Or even like Progress Bar OS OSX, like okay, maybe that's not targeted at any particular niche in particular, but like if you use a Mac, you're prob- if you're an indie hacker, you probably use a Mac. And it's kind of a cool niche app that, like, you know, anyone could use. And so uh, nothing you're building is targeted at a different niche than the ones that you're writing for by telling them how you're, you're building all this stuff.
1: Yeah, it was pretty much for the same people, I suppose, in general. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. I just pulled up your, uh, you've got a blog post called Hardcore Year First Month. Getting press coverage and reaching $361 a month in revenue. So if anyone searches for that, you can find it on Medium. You got 2,400 likes for this on Medium, which is a tonne. And you've got a bunch of different sections. First, like the too long didn't read section, just a summary of the whole post. Then you read, like, wrote down the story of Sheet to Site. So you give people kind of a walkthrough story of how you built it and how you tested it with users. And then you have a section called Depression, where you said, after the site was ready, I made a launch and felt like everybody would be using it. That's not what happened. People only said, oh, this is a nice idea, and that hurt. And you now know this is a standard depression stage in any creative process. So do you feel like you hit that, that point with all of your projects, or it was only Sheet to Site? where you felt kind of depressed at the the way the launch was received
1: no for all it's it's like the the classic problem i even know that i have this problem i am in the right direction because next will be good feeling after after the launch so it's a, it's a first when you don't know you probably struggle with this but after you keep this as a as a part of the game you know when you need to defeat boss first you need to struggle a lot to get the, to the boss so the 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 part of the game and at some point you you like this pain <laughs> of, the, of this depression.
0: That's another, like, just like you're going through like all these like sort of learnings and they're all really, I think, uh, testaments to why doing like a different project every month or two is a smart idea. If you only build one project, um, yeah, you can pour more of your like heart and soul and attention and love into that project, but like you're not getting that many reps in. And so you don't really know like what is unique to this one project and what is a common experience across almost every project that you work on. Whereas with you, like, okay, you had your surf app and then you had your big red button app and you had sheet to site and then you had these progress bar apps and you're getting like these reps in where you can see like, oh, like consistently, it's kind of depressing and hard in the beginning. And then that almost always goes away after I launch and fix bugs and whatever. So like, now, you know, it's kind of baked into your your soul that like, you shouldn't quit when you feel that feeling. Whereas somebody who's only ever made like one project or two projects is like, oh, this is not how it's supposed to be. I never hear anybody else writing about this. Like I should quit. Like I'm not supposed to feel this bad.
1: Yeah. I would just add that it's work for me in my case, but I assume that many people have different personalities and for them it's better to work on the one idea where they can focus and work like a year or two even before launch. So it's really depends on who you are and what was your, you know, inner triggers and inner things that makes you happy.
0: What do you think it is about your personality that makes this sort of multiple projects approach a better approach for you rather than just like working on one thing?
1: For me personally, it's much more better to work on different ideas. And I really like this part when you don't know anything and after you have this idea and you launch it and see what happens. This makes me much more excited. And maybe because when I was a child, I cannot focus on, on the one thing, I do this and that and cannot finish books and cannot focus too much, you know, like learning and study. I just need to many things in the same time and two, maybe one I will finish or maybe no, <laughs> but at least I, like that. I have a chance.
0: It's kind of like the consistent personality traits from other parts of your life will probably also apply to your journey as a startup founder. And so if you're you know, not finishing books, like you said, then maybe you're not going to finish a bunch of projects. And you should work on like a lot of different small things rather than one really big thing that you'll never finish. I've also heard people who are extroverts tend to work better with co-founders because it's kind of hard to motivate yourself if you're super extroverted and you're sitting you know, in your apartment by yourself all day. Uh, Whereas if you're introverted, you know, maybe you can do the solo founder thing. And so there's all these like little personality traits where if you're not really sure where to start as a founder and which which decision to make, realizing that, like, as you said, there is no one right decision. You just have to figure out what works for you. And you can probably guess what approach will work for you based on how else you've lived your life before you became a founder. Were there any things that like did you have any bad habits that you had to break or overcome to like finally find success. Cause I know I did for sure. Like if I just follow my own sort of intuition and do what I want to do, like I will lock myself in a room and write code all day, every day and never release anything, never market it, never talk to anybody. Like that's, what's the most fun for me. And so I had to kind of like deliberately work on ideas that don't require a lot of code in order for me to have the discipline to do all the other stuff. Did you have any habits that you needed to break or were you able to just kind of naturally be yourself and that worked out for you?
1: i think it's not only habits it's m- many things it's habits to finish the project the the habit that you need to launch and market the project uh the fear that you scare that no one will even use it the fears that people will hate you the and excited is things that maybe someone will copy your project it's mm-hmm. like the ma- psychological emotional mess in all, right. all this journey and if uh, not my friends. I will probably give up too too earlier. I was just very lucky to have uh, very good friends: Peter, Mark, Daniel, and uh, L- Linilson from Brazil, and other guys who helped me during all these years to keep going and not give up. Because w- without people, my personal fuel was only for like the couple of months.
0: So how did you how did you make? friends on the internet who believed in you and supported you and stopped you from giving up? Because that's easier said than done. Mm Most people are sort of toiling away in obscurity. Nobody knows what they're working on. Uh, Even when they create a Twitter account and they tweet something about what they're working on, like nobody responds. Mm -hmm. How did you go from like not having any internet friends to
1: suddenly having like all these people in your corner? I was lucky when I went to Bali. So the first day, I don't know anybody, I post in some Facebook group, hello. People of Bali, <laughs> like expats. <laughs> I'm Andre from Ukraine. I like startups and jumping from parachute and maybe surfing and stuff like this. Let's meet on Coconut. <laughs> and some people, hey, Andre, okay, let's meet. And I built, I made a couple of friends like this. And everyone said to me, you know, go to the co working space called Dojo Bali. There is many people like you, go there. And say what what is co-working space? It's a place where I not just buy coffee, but I pay money for time. Just imagine. Pay money. <laughs> it was like mind-blowing in my head. Why I need pay if I can go to, to the <laughs> cafe? It was like doesn't make sense. But it's okay, let's because not only one guy said, but also some other people said. So I went there and met many interesting people actually. One of them was my ex-boss, the Yaroslav, from elsewhere, and I found a job. So it's like wow. On the second day, I found a job. Okay, what happened next? And then in the next couple of months, some uh, girl said that you know Peter Levels will come to Bali. I'm like wow, no way. It's was like was a superstar guy from some different part of the world that writing crazy blog posts. I said okay, I will go. And I went to the pool party where it was Peter and some other guys. And was very interesting experience because I don't drink alcohol, so I get the tea set with the Chinese tea with all these little cups, and people in the pool drinking beer and like partying, and with this little diesel hello, I'm Andre from Ukraine, and that's how I meet Peter actually, and it was pretty strange, but the next day we met in a normal environment, and somehow we become friends. And he introduced me to the Mark Koholbrook from the Badlys. So that's how it was more face to face. Because right. through the internet, the only connection was when I post on a Facebook group to some random dudes, say, Hello, I'm under from Ukraine. Let's meet for a coconut. <laughs> that's
0: cool. That's super cool. It's uh, bringing back memories of pre pandemic times and meeting people at meetups and all sorts of stuff like that, which hopefully will start back. But I. One of the things I've seen from people like you and others in like the sort of indie hackers community who've like been able to make a lot of friends is that you're all like, you're all like doers. You know, like you're not just like, hey, let me go to the pool party. You're like, hey, like I'm actually working on stuff. Do you want to? Do you want to see what I'm working on? Let me show you what I'm working on. And I think for somebody like Mark or Peter, when they meet somebody like you who they don't know, and you can actually show them what you're building and like come back a few weeks later and be like, look how far along I am now. It just sticks so much more than if you're not actually building anything. Cause it's it's like a camaraderie there. Cause they're also building stuff all the time and they love to see people kind of inspired by what they do mm-hmm. and see people just change and grow.
1: Yeah, for sure. Back then I even have not work or anything. I even don't have plans like big plans. I said, when we met, you know, I want to build startup. Maybe it will be about surfing. And Mark said, so what's stopping you? <laughs> I said, I don't know. I don't know how to code. What should I do? Peter, PHP, just PHP. I'll say, okay, okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> So you end up going through your hardcore year. I've got like a little timeline up that you wrote about. Like March, started in March, 2018. That's when you quit your job with your goal to get to $1,000 a month in recurring revenue. By November, 2018, you had built seven projects. And then in January, you ended up winning Product Hunt's maker of the year. You are the third person to come on the show who's won Product Hunt's Maker of the Year award, which I guess they award to basically whoever is the most impressive maker, the most impressive builder. And it's almost always like the most prolific person. So Mubashar Iqbal has been on the podcast a few times, and he's like super prolific. He's like building an app every week, I swear to God. Peter Levels has been on the show. He also did his like startup year, and he built like 12 projects in 12 months. And then here you were, kind of alongside these other greats, being recognized as Product Hunt's Maker of the Year as someone who less than a year earlier,
1: like didn't even know how to code. Oh my god, this was one of the happiest moments in my life. Because I have no idea if I even will be nom- nominated. I just launched the project. Every of my project will launch to the uh, on the product hunt. And I was lucky that me- many people loved what I done and they vote. So I suppose they have some algorithms that check in for an entire year. Who's the maker launched total project with a total amount of votes or something like this. But after they have like pre-nominated people, and after that there is another vote. So I was very surprised and, like, that I went to this first round, and after I won, and it was wow! How is even possible the guy from Bali from Ukraine that built some apps that have little bit of functionality can win such great awards? It was, I was really happy and I was partying and went to the beach party and screaming and yelling and have, partying with my friends. It was really fun.
0: Uh, that's awesome. It's cool to have like all these sources of motivation because it's mm-hmm. not just like individuals that you're meeting in person now. It's like an entire online community like celebrating you. And I, I gotta say like, this process that you have of like not only blogging at the end of sort of each one of your projects but also constantly tweeting about what you're up to like you've been building in public since well before it was cool you're always tweeting your ups and downs you're always like sharing your revenue numbers and how things went i think there's just something about that that is endearing to people who don't know you or people who are trying to follow in your footsteps or build something similar to what you're building so when the time comes for you to get like nominated for an award like this like Who's going to be at the top of their mind? Andre, of course, because Andre's been tweeting and, you know, talking about all the stuff he's been building all year long. So, like, why wouldn't somebody remember you? You're kind of like a constant, you know, reminder in their Twitter feed that, like, you're grinding and working and, and you're pursuing this goal. And I think that's just, it's really inspiring. And it's a great habit for you to develop. So, at some point, uh, you've done seven projects, probably eight or nine, ten projects, mm-hmm. actually. And you decided to go back to Sheet to site. Which is a big decision because you have all these projects. Like clearly, some of them were still alive; they're still alive today. Uh, how did you decide? You know, instead of working on newer projects, or instead of picking a, a different old project to go back to, to go back and relaunch sheet to site, the very mm-hmm. first project that you worked on.
1: I guess was the three uh, three reasons for for this decision. First, that my idea list was finished, and I haven't got any other idea. Mm, second uh, reason <laughs> that my goal was in a recurrent revenue. So Shito side was with only one project with recurrent revenue. And it was like five bucks per month or something or 10, but it was still working and some people still paying. And the last reason that it was still alive and people was using it to build some websites even with this free version that, that I had before. I, I thought that maybe it was was a good idea to try add all this feature that all people asked because back then i even don't have the option to connect the custom domain because it's obviously number one feature of any website builder right if right. You build a website the you want a custom domain yeah, yeah so the, the first i just sent through email when the people buying it on the paypal i said hey actually just have this Index HTML with iframe and just put on your server. Good luck. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so for the non-programmers, that means you gave people a really, really hacky way <laughs> yeah. to show the websites on their own domain name rather than like you know sheet to sitecom slash Corlin Allen or whatever website you gave people.
1: Right. Paul Graham would say do things that don't scale. This is a
0: really important point actually because somebody was posting on Indie Hackers a few weeks ago about how he is coding his website for like a year. And then he realized that like he was doing all these features that he sees in other apps that you like don't need to launch with. He was like, oh, the password reset feature isn't automated yet. So I've got to spend like three or four weeks like fixing that. And like everyone's like, no, no, no. you like, you don't have to do, you can just not do that. And yeah, maybe like one out of every two or 300 users will need to like reset their password. But you can like do that for them manually until you have time to build that feature. But like just get the most basic features out. And like you were kind of like intuitively on that level. Like you left out not only like, you know, those sort of edge case features, but also like the most important feature, custom domains, mm-hmm. and yet the site was still alive, people were still using it. Uh, they didn't necessarily care that they had some, you know, to some sort of scrappy iframe solution to get that feature.
1: Right. It was very interesting approach to do because I even don't know how to do. So I decided just launch, see what will happen and if people really need this custom domain because it was my assumption, maybe people just like to use it on the, on the my domain is it, but it was good validation that people need this feature. By the way, I right. still now don't have reset password features, so maybe <laughs> I don't <laughs> care about this too much.
0: It took me a long time to put reset pass, uh, password reset features on any hackers too. You yeah, like changing your username on any hackers, like multiple years, ND hackers have been acquired. I've been working on it for years and people would send emails like, how do I change my username? i like, I'll do that for you. And it right. wasn't until like maybe six or seven months ago that I built it. So you like yeah. really don't need these basic features to launch.
1: Yeah, maybe it's a good idea for a startup. Reset password as a service. Right. <laughs>
0: so you decided to go back to working on this because of all the reasons you outlined. Like, this thing is still alive. People have all these features that they want. I'm sure the feature requests have been piling up for months at this point. Mm-hmm. And it's got recurring revenue. Mm-hmm. Uh, how long did it take you to, to sort of to build this and to the new version and get it out the door?
1: Mm, I think maybe like three or four months. It was pretty big list because from that scrappy website, I need to make in some, you know, like the real startup with many features that people ask, many technical problems. And I need to level up myself as a developer to be able to ship all this requested feature.
0: Right, right. And it ended up doing super well. You kind of launched it as sheet to site 2.0, mm-hmm. and you had a lot more of the features that like people would expect from a typical website builder. You had a bunch of different templates people could use to make their websites look differently. Mm-hmm. Did you end up adding custom domains?
1: Yeah, it was still semi-automated. At least I didn't send the iframe anymore. I did it manually, like, each time when people ask, they message me in the website, so I sent them the IP address to change the right. DNS, and I put on FTP their website itself. So it was <laughs> still, but it was, you know... 2.0, yeah. like a little bit more automation.
0: <laughs> yeah. How did people receive the, the new launch and how did that go for you financially? Uh,
1: it was probably the the biggest success back then. It, it was even great because it was a big pool party we organized with friends, with Peter and Mark and Daniel and Lee Nielsen. was the big villa in Bali and maybe 200 people came, so took the microphone and said, we're launching sheet to site. And someone, what is this? Is this my website? Like, woohoo! <laughs> like three, two, one. It was already launched, but just for show. Cool, purpose, yeah. We pressed yeah. the button, and it was, went live to the product hunt. I increased the price, so from maybe 100 or ever, MRR, it becomes like 400 or five.
0: I think that was like March, and then by May, so a couple months later, you were at your goal. You finally hit a thousand dollars a monthly recurring revenue, and this is all 2019. And then I talked to you last year in 2020, and you're ten times that amount. You're ten thousand dollars a month in revenue, which is a crazy amount of growth. Ten x mm-hmm. in one year. Uh, I'm sure that was like well beyond your wildest dreams for what you're going to hit. I mean, that's literally ten times more than your goal, mm-hmm. and you're living in Bali still or traveling. I think at this point, so yeah. you were <laughs> like, this is way more money than you need to survive.
1: It was pretty amazing because you know when when you set up a public goal you need actually to finish this goal and people asking what's up andre why you don't post any update and you on like 300 (laughs) uh, monthly revenue it's easy to post when you achieve something but it's very hard and i have huge respect for people who post and keep posting these even if they don't succeed yet but i keep working on it and adding finally added domains added Stripe integration, launching the Google Sheeted On and WordPress On and many other things that people requested. And in 2020, the COVID happened. And I assume that many people decided, okay, I have this idea and I will work on it because I have free time. So they somehow remember my website because the idea was related to the Google Sheet. And they opened my website and start paying the monthly subscription.
0: Yeah, it was a pretty good time for tech businesses in general for the exact reason that you said. Like, so many people decided to sit at home. It's kind of like that phenomenon in January. It's a new year. Suddenly, everybody's at the gym because everybody's got, like, this, you know, New Year's resolution to get fit. You know, COVID happened, and everyone was like, well, I might as well build my online business. And so if you were making any sort of tool, whether it's Sheet to Site to help people build websites or whether it's Stripe to help people collect payments online, like, 2020 was a huge year for you, most likely. And it's kind of just, like, right place right time. Uh, and then, as you said at the very beginning of the show, at some point, you're like, well, the support load is pretty big. <laughs> and it's only going to increase as you get more and more customers. Why sell sheet to site? I mean, I understand like, okay, it's like, it's not that fun to do customer support. But like, it's a solvable problem. And you can hire people for it. You can start automating different stuff and writing guides and fixing bugs. Um, why not just keep working on this thing and take it to $20,000 a month in revenue or $40,000 a month in revenue, and, instead of, you know, selling it and starting something new?
1: Uh, because w- when a lot of support happened, I didn't decide to sell. I decided to keep working on it and automate every everything what I can. It's uh, like the good marker if people posting you in support and don't know how to do or they want to do something that they cannot do through their own account. It was like a good signal. So I done a lot of this from in 2020, like a year, and it's become pretty good and a stable project. So, last six months, I don't have much support before because it was optimized and automated. And at some point, because I got requests for other people who want to buy it, I say, let's, if someone interested to buy, let's just see if I will post it not to some people who message me directly, but for all people on the market. Um, I got the offer from the uh, Guy from UK named Neil. So I want to, you know, have this feeling of fresh ideas, fresh projects. Cool. Well, this is very freeing, I think, to sort of divest
0: yourself from a big project you've been working on. Like, I've been working on hackers for four years. I don't have any plans to stop, but... (laughs) It's like, well, wow, I'm kind of sucked into the exact same code base. Like, what's new? What's going on? I have all these other ideas that have been percolating in the back of my mind. So part of me is kind of jealous to see what you're going to work on. Do you have any ideas? Like, what it, It's kind of in your future now that you've sold this project. I assume you've made a, a big chunk of change, and you don't really have to work on anything for a while. But mm-hmm. I know you're going to. Uh, what do you think it's going to be?
1: Mm, I have no idea yet. Just didn't open my idea list for a while. And <laughs> just enjoying doing nothing at the moment. You know, some people cool. said that you need to always work on something and you, you, if you will have a lot of money, you will probably start doing something new again. But I want to reach this point when I will become totally boring of laziness to don't do anything. <laughs> and after this, I will launch something new for sure. <laughs>
0: Well, then what uh, what are you doing in your, your lazy off time? Because I assume you're, do- you're not doing projects, but you got to be doing something in your personal life. What's keeping you occupied day to day?
1: A couple of things. First, I, um making techno, like making electronic music just for fun. Like, yeah. I put it on the pause because I was working a lot on, uh, on my projects, but now I'm just doing this. Another stuff I learned in coding now in a proper way, finally, to understand how to do databases and uh, password cool. resets. So it, for, it will help a lot <laughs> for my next project finally.
0: Nice, nice. Yeah. There's kind of this idea uh, in Silicon Valley of like the deferred life plan, where a lot of founders spend like 10 years working on projects and startups, and they kind of put a lot of their dreams and like personal hobbies and like personal development on hold, you know, because it's like so intense and it's so easy to justify dumping every waking hour you have into your startup, especially if it's not working. And then like eventually they find success and like, okay, well now it's time to like, you know, do all the things I wanted to do. You know, I'm going to start, start making music and I'm going to learn how to code properly. And I'm going to, you know, finally go get a girlfriend or a boyfriend or whatever. It's cool when you can mix the two, but it also mm-hmm. is cool when you do reach the end of that, that sort of journey and you can basically learn all those things you want to learn. So mm-hmm. uh, best of luck. Hope it makes some really good techno. You got to send me some. What is your advice? I always sort of end the episode by asking for just one piece of advice that you have for Kind of like the the person who was in your shoes four years ago, who doesn't necessarily know how to code, who doesn't know what they should build, and is just trying to you know find some inspiration by listening to this podcast. What do you think they should take away from your story, Andre?
1: Try to surround myself with uh, friends doing the the same as you, but already succeed in any ways, and it would probably help a lot. Because personally, I'm not super like crazy motivation where I can work alone for 20 years in a basement (laughs) I I need some friends around me that will support and say you can do it man so that's one thing that I could advise and another thing that there is big problem now there is too much different content there is indie hackers, hacker news, product hunt, tech crunch, fast companies everyone succeeding and you see this like Instagram stories of success every 10 seconds so it's very hard to decide what to do the best approach is just not focus too much on reading and learning but just start simple one button app whatever your idea is and it will be much more better than watching some other people's successes and try to build
0: yeah. your own i like that advice and in some ways it almost seems contradictory on one hand it's like Surround yourself with successful people. On the other hand, it's like don't, don't buy too much into these stories with successful people. Just get it, get it done. But I think both pieces of advice are really good. And you gotta have to figure out like, how to strike that balance. Because it definitely is paralyzing to see all these success stories and then to start copying them too much. I think that's one of the things that you did really well was that like, you didn't get too caught up in trying to make your apps look like they're these finished, polished things. You just, as we've mentioned several times now, kept it scrappy, realized at the very beginning of any startup's life, it's gonna look crappy and scrappy and it doesn't matter and it's really easy to lose sight of that if you are only sort of consuming these stories and only looking at successful people mm-hmm. but I think what's cool about actually surrounding yourself with like people in real life is they'll, they'll just give you the scrappy advice because they know their story mm-hmm. and when they're your friends in real life they're not gonna give you like the sort of buttoned up you know, packaged version of their story where it was all success the whole time. They're going to tell you like, oh no, just go learn PHP and do it scrappy from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And so I love the way that you're able to sort of find that balance by by having these friends in real life. Andre, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you tell listeners where they can go to learn about, I guess, your next project whenever you decide to work on it or maybe get on that mailing list that you have?
1: Mm, yeah, you can find me on Twitter, Andrei Azimov, or on my personal website, andreazimov.com.
0: Thanks, Andre. I'll see you back here when uh, when you've got your next $10,000 month andy hacker app out the door.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me.